following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Today, we are doing something quite different from our usual Sunday morning. We, uh, this morning, conclude a five-week series in which we've been studying the family of Abraham. And to conclude the series, today, we are hosting a panel discussion with representatives from the three Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Uh, we, of course, over the last month or so, have been looking at Abraham from a Christian perspective, because that's who we are, that is where we come from. But we believe that it's important to hear and learn from those who have different views and different histories and different beliefs. So we're using this shared piece of religious heritage, Abraham, as a platform for a much broader discussion and focus than we would usually have on a Sunday morning. Now, I recognize that this may be quite challenging for some of us, and if that is true for you, let me just say thank you for being here this morning in spite of that fact. I really do hope that this is a time of growth in our knowledge of God and in our understanding of each other. Uh, so without further ado, I would like to invite our three panelists to come and join me on the platform here, and I will give them a chance to introduce themselves in just a second. And then I have a couple of foundational questions, which I think will get the, the ball rolling. And after that, we will open the floor for questions. Good morning. Nice to see you. Uh, this is Sheikh Ismet from the Islamic Center of Rochester. Thank you for being here. Uh, Dr. Joseph Kelly from Nazareth College. And Rabbi Kelly Levy from Temple B'rith Kodesh. Um, <laughs> um, just as a word of uh, practical uh, instruction, uh, these microphones work best when they're close to your mouth. <laughs> that is science. <laughs> so when you are uh, speaking, I'd ask you to, to take your microphone and hold it up and you can close it. You can actually put it right in your chin like I have this one on my chin. <laughs> and that will help everybody to hear us and it will also help make it to the recording which we're making of this discussion as well. Uh, and so, what I'd like to ask each of you to do uh, is to tell us a little bit about your community of faith and your role there. And we will have this, this discussion, uh, this part of it at least, in what you might call a historical chronological order. And so we will begin with uh, Rabbi Levy as a representative of the Jewish faith, and then Dr. Kelly will respond as a representative of the Christian faith, and uh, he will probably tell you this, but he is a Roman Catholic scholar. We've had enough Protestant yammering over the last four or five weeks, and uh, Sheikh Ismet will answer third uh, as a representative of the Islamic faith. Uh, so again, tell us about your community of faith, where you serve and work, and what is your role there? Hi, I'm Rabbi Kelly Levy. Can everyone hear me okay? I'm, I'm used to the microphone. <laughs> I am the new assistant rabbi at Temple Birth Kodesh, which is just around the corner from here on Elmwood Avenue. Uh, we are a reform synagogue, and we are one of two reform synagogues in the Rochester area. Reform Judaism started in the 1800s in Germany, and we are a more liberal and progressive synagogue than the other synagogues that you might have heard about, like Orthodox Judaism and Conservative Judaism. Um, we are a people who believe that um, everything we do is knowledge, our choice through knowledge. So we understand all of the different commandments and dietary restrictions and all of those things, and we decide what works for us based on what makes us feel the most spiritual, but knowing the background and the history of all of those commandments and mitzvot, which are commandments. Um, as the assistant rabbi at Temple Birth Kodesh, I work with a senior rabbi, and the two of us work closely to provide a spiritual home for all of our, our congregants and anyone else who is looking to be a part of our community. Um, I lead uh, worship services, visit people in the hospitals, uh, teach lots and lots of classes. I work with the youth quite a bit and basically have a really good time. Thank you. Yes, Dr. Kelly. 
I'm Joe Kelly. <clears throat> I recently retired from Nazareth College. I'm in the Roman Catholic tradition, uh, but I am not ordained. Uh, I am a professor, <clears throat> and I studied, I guess I can admit this, I studied at Notre Dame University with uh, some very fine Catholic scripture scholars. I rarely went to the football games, but... <clears throat> Uh, my training is in what is known as the critical method of scripture study. In other words, that I look at the text in its cultural background, in its language background, in its way of trying to understand how God spoke to us in that text, but without taking it literally. And so my work is mostly today with adult education. I give about 30 talks in different parishes and congregations around the area each year, and uh, I'm very delighted because, as I tell my friends, I don't have to correct any papers and I don't have to give any grades. God bless you. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Uh, I'm Ismet Husni uh, Akcin from Turkey. Uh, I studied in Turkey and in Belgium a few years and in Egypt. Uh, and I was the imam and reciter for Islamic Cultural Center of New York for eight years. Then uh, I moved to Texas, El Paso, Islamic Center. Huh? She's Texan. Yeah, and I love that, you know. <laughs> then I moved to Lubbock. Then I moved to Miami, Islamic Center of Greater Miami for three years. And I am imam now at the Islamic Center of uh, Rochester. We have uh, daily prayers five times, as you know, and we have daily lectures. Also, we have interfaith uh, more than once a month. And uh, sometimes we visit uh, local uh, places, brothers, sisters like you, uh, Christians, and all kind of faith. Sometimes we travel. Uh, we give daily lectures also at the center. And uh, we visit to recite, uh, you know, the Quran, to change the Quran also, and to give some uh, Friday sermons. And we have also some youth programs. We teach Quran and Fiqh, Islamic jurisprudence, and Tafsir, uh, the interpretation of the Quran. So sometimes we have Starbucks coffee, we enjoy it, and Dunkin' Donut. And we go to the gym sometimes also. I mean every day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and we love the Rochester, we love the snow also. Uh, because we have snow also back home in Turkey, in my village. And I am very happy to be here. Uh, God bless you. Salamun alaikum. Thank you. And uh, I would like to uh, point out something that happened when uh, Shane and I went to visit the Islamic Center. Uh, we were sitting in your office. This will give you a sense of Sheikh Ismet's uh, kindness. Uh, and one of his... Uh, Parishioners, is that a, a term that we can use, or congregants? Somebody from the center came in and could tell, I don't know how, instantly that Shane and I were not Muslims. <laughs> and uh, and he, he asked, because we didn't return the sign of peace, he asked, are you, are you not Muslims? And uh, Sheikh Ismet said, we don't ask people that. Um, and I said, it's okay. No, we're not. And he said, well, may Allah lead you to the truth. And Sheikh Ismet, without missing a beat, said, may Allah lead us all to the truth. <laughs> uh, and I so appreciated that uh, gentleness, um, and I hope that we can extend the same kind of gentleness to you today for being here. I also want to say a word of welcome to Dr. Muhammad, who is here as well, and um, wanted to, we met him, I'm sorry? Oh, he's the chairman of, this, of the Islamic Center, yes, and a physician, and also very learned in Abraham. And so we may turn to him for a question. A student, thank you. <laughs> um, well, thank you all uh, for being here once again. The next question is a little bit broader, and I'd like to ask you... Yes, please do. You told me that when we were there. Uh, yes, Sheikh Ismet has memorized the entire Quran, every word. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Um, we should all be so steeped in the words of our scriptures. <laughs> um, so let me ask each of you to respond for a minute or two, or uh, however many minutes it takes to answer this question. This is really the, the meat of our 
getting started. Uh, what is the significance of Abraham in your particular faith tradition? What does Abraham mean to each of you and to your communities of faith? Uh, Rabbi Levy. As many of you know, Abraham is who we consider the father of Judaism. And we don't see Abraham until later chapters in Genesis, at the end of what we call Parashat Noah, which is the entire portion where we hear the story of Noah. And it's not until the end of that portion that we hear of Abram, who is not quite Abraham yet. And in the next chapter, in chapter 12 of Genesis, we have Parashat Lech Lecha, which means go forth. And this is the, the portion in which God commands Abraham to leave from his father's home, from this land that he has always known, and go to this promised land that I will show you. And the interesting thing about Abraham at this point is, again, he is Abram. And we don't know why he is the one who is picked. There's nothing in our scripture that says... He was a tzaddik, which means a righteous person like Noah. There's nothing that says that he was a faithful individual, that he had the required characteristics and personality traits that one would imagine um, somebody who is going to be the father of an entire nation would have. But Abram is chosen, and Abram goes forth with his wife Sarai, and they settle in the land of Canaan. And as they do so, the idea and the birth of Judaism begins. We don't ever refer to Judaism um, in the Torah. At this point, people are just Abram, Abram and Sarai, and Abram and Sarai's camp and their family. And it isn't until we, ha- we have Jacob, who is the grandson of Abraham, that we start to hear the words Israelite. And Judaism, as we know it today, does not come about until the first century after 70 CE when the, first, uh, the second temple is destroyed. And that is when rabbinic Judaism really takes over. So Abraham is the father of this, this religion that we, we believe in, and his role is really as the one who started it all. The interesting thing, as I mentioned, is that we don't know why Abraham is picked, yet he finds a way to really embody these characteristics that we are looking for. And so Abraham is used as one of our patriarchs, often in our prayers and throughout the Torah text. And Abraham is one of those people who becomes what we want him to become. And so he becomes a role model for all of the Jews in the world. And it is through Abraham's line that Judaism has been able to be established and to also be something that we look to for generations and generations. So he really is the beginning of everything for us, and he is, he is the father of my religion. Well, I guess I would want to say that he is also the father of my religion, <laughs> because as most of you in the room know, Christianity builds on Judaism, and Christianity honors and uh, considers our ancestors to be those people in the Hebrew Scriptures. When we turn to the New Testament, it's interesting. I did a little research, and actually Abraham is mentioned 71 times in the New Testament. Most and many of those references are simply historical references where it refers to the fact that God is the, um, God, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it's a phrase we're quite used to. But interestingly enough, when Matthew gives the genealogy of Jesus, he begins with Abraham. And so Abraham is the father of Isaac, and Isaac is the father of Jacob, and it leads down to the fact that Jesus is born of Mary, so that the lineage continues in the Mithian understanding. And therefore, we see very much that the three faiths are the Abrahamic faith. We look to Abraham as the beginning of our whole understanding. The different texts within the New Testament give us some interesting insight. Luke, in particular, uses the uh, reality of Abraham uh, five different times, and it's only in the material that Luke knows. It's not shared material with the other Gospels. For example, two of the people in um, Luke's gospel, the woman who was bent over and for eight years, who was secured on the Sabbath, the day is called the daughter of Abraham. 
And Zacchaeus, Jesus, the man who climbed the tree uh, to see Jesus, is called the son of Abraham. Luke is the only one who gives us that parable of Lazarus, a rich man. And in fact, in that parable, the gospel of Luke puts words on Abraham's mouth. There's a dialogue in Abraham's mouth that actually there's a dialogue to uh, as he says to the rich man, um, to Lazarus. <clears throat> I'm sorry, to the rich man, he says, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not listen to the one who comes back from the dead. That's spoken by Abraham in the text. Then in John's gospel, there's a very interesting long discuss discussion with the Pharisees where Jesus says, if you were children of Abraham, you would not be trying to kill me. In fact, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And the Pharisees say to Jesus, but you are only 50 years old. And Jesus makes a very interesting theological statement. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He uses the Hebrew notion in some way, shape, or form of what in the Hebrew scriptures is called Adonai. But probably the person who takes Abraham and works with the notions and the reality of Abraham the most is Paul. And I'd like to spend just a couple of minutes looking at what Paul does to try to explicate his position in both the letter to the Romans and the letter to the Galatians. In both Romans and in Galatians, Paul starts with the quotation from, from Genesis, which says, Abraham believed in God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Okay. Now what... Paul is trying to do is to explain how Jesus frees the Christian tradition from observance of the law. And he argues that it was credited to Abraham as righteousness even before Abraham was circumcised and even before he was, uh, before the law was brought into existence. And just to quote a little bit from that, <clears throat> if it is the inherent, in if it is the adherents of the law who are to be their, the heirs, faith is null and promise is void, for the law brings wrath. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of us all. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him that, ra that was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. We are justified by faith. And then in Galatians, he uses the same quotation, and he says, Before faith came, we were confined under the law, kept under restraint until faith should be revealed. So the law was our custodian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the law. If we are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That very specifically in terms of Abraham and the fact that Abraham was justified not by the law, but by faith. Then he goes on, particularly in Galatians, to make a very interesting comparison. He talks about the two wives of Abraham. First of all, Hagar, the slave woman, who with, with her he, he had a son, Ishmael, and with Sarah, the free woman, with her he had the son that we know as <clears throat> Isaac. But what gets a little problematic is that he begins to use this analogy to suggest that since the scripture said, cast off the slave and her son, for the, slave, the son of the slave shall not inherit with the son of the free woman, so brethren, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. I think what is fascinating about this study of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar is that Paul was really struggling to try to see how Christianity developed from this Hebrew base and that the law was very valuable, 
but when Jesus comes, it's faith in the law rather than faith in the works of the law that are important for our salvation. You remember in the Protestant tradition, there was a lot of discussion about that, even in terms of the Middle Ages, when Luther talked about justification by faith rather than what he saw as the Roman Catholic idea of justification by works. So these particular texts are very valuable for us as Paul tries to explicate what is changing and what is working out in terms of the coming of Christ and how that affects our belief. A little bit later, I want to say something about how we use those texts today. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. Uh, Sheikh Ismet, can you answer that same question? What is the significance of Abraham in the Islamic tradition? Ibrahim is my father too. <laughs> well, uh, it is, there is about Ibrahim, Prophet Ibrahim, peace be upon him. His name is mentioned 64 times in the Quran. And Moses, uh, 139 times. And Jesus, 30 times. And Prophet Muhammad, only four times. <laughs> there is more. And uh, Allah, when I say Allah, I mean the God, the creator of the universe. He mentioned 25 messengers in the Quran. 25 but again but he made he gave the position of the leadership the leader the father of the prophets even though Ibrahim was younger than way younger than Nuh, Noah but Allah God did not make Noah leader of the prophets but he made Abraham leader of the prophets leader and the father because the the rabbi mentioned that uh, he is the father of the Jewish, also he is the father of the Arabs. I am Turkish, but he is father of everyone who believe in his faith. Father means uh, to accept his leadership. Because Allah chosen him in the Quran, in Surah Al-Nahl, Ummah. Ummah is the biggest title. Ummah is like the title of like nation. The whole nation only could be Ummah. But Allah named Abraham by himself Ummah. How great position is that? Imagine. To be Ummah, you need to, at least you need to have like uh, one billion, two billion followers. <laughs> yes? Ummah. Messiahia, for example, Christian Ummah. We call them Ummah, nation. Yes, they are nation, one nation. Ummah al-Yahudiyya, Jewish. Ummah al-Muslima, Muslim Ummah. So each of them millions. So now Ibrahim, salam, peace be upon him, by himself is one Ummah. Such a great. Because Allah mentioned his name also in Surah Al-Nahl, this chapter of the B. Inna Ibrahim kana Ummah. Ummatan qanitan lillahi hanifa. Walam yakumina al-mushrikin. So clear and beautiful ayah. Indeed, in the means indeed verily, it's like swear. Allah is taking oath that Ibrahim by himself was like qa'id, leader, ummah, by himself leading person. And the great example for the rest of the nations to be taken, to be followed. That's what Allah says in the Quran about Ibrahim. لَقَدْ كَانَ فِيهِمْ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا Ibrahim, السلام, and his offsprings, all of them prophets. And you should take them, قُدْوَة, leaders, examples for yourself. This is such a beautiful call. So just disregard the politics. Disregard the hatred, disregard, just keep your standard like very high. Think very high. I don't care about what's going on. I do care. But they should not affect my faith. 
I am still taking Ibrahim, Ummah, and leader, and my Imam. And he was not only that. Allah said, Qanitan. You see the title, you know, Allah does not give title to anyone just for fun, for race, but for the responsibilities, for the duties that Allah gave him. And when Allah sees that he can handle those, then he, he deserves to be the leader, the qaid, the ummah by himself. He does not need anyone. He by himself, like Superman. <laughs> you know? And he was ummah. Qanit. Qanit means muti'ah. Worshipper. Follower of the orders of Allah. Who could follow Allah? Who could obey Allah more than Ibrahim? Imagine if you receive order that you will slaughter your son. Why? No why. But Nuh salam he asked, why? Why my son, O oh Allah? Ibrahim did not say why. I will do it. And when Namrud, the biggest tyrant, he is bigger than, more evil than Pharaoh. When he threatened him, he put on the fire, about to throw him. Oh, Ibrahim, I will give you one more chance. Say sorry. Because you broke our idols. I will forgive you. He keeps saying, I did not do it. The bigger idol did it. Ask him. <laughs> why? Why he did that, Ibrahim? So he was using the qiyas, the, the logic, the reasoning, the aql. We call them delil aqli. Because Islam accepts two evidences. One delil naqli, one delil aqli. Delil naqli means revelations. Revelations, teachings, evidences, proofs, lessons from God. Like Torah, Gospel, Injil, uh, Gospel, Quran. And aqli means also whatever you preach, it should make sense also. My logic, my heart, my mantik, my mind, my intellect should take it, accept it. And you see the rules and regulations that prophets brought, all of them make sense. All of them make sense. And we see Ibrahim, when he broke the idols, he left the biggest one. Because they have also big, great idol and small and little one also. And that idol was the leader of the idols, you know. So they used to give him special uh, respect, more worship. They used to slaughter for each of them, but for the bigger one, big, let's say, camel. Camel, because he deserved a big portion. And he broke all of them except that one. He hung the axe on, on the bigger, bigger one. And when they asked him, why did you destroy our idols, O Ibrahim? You did indeed very evil thing. He said, I did not do it. Ask this one. He did it. And they ask him, they don't talk. Don't you know they don't talk, they don't speak? And then he said, This is Ibrahim. Don't you know that for you to worship idols which cannot talk, which cannot harm, which cannot defend themselves? Why you are worshiping them then? That is Ibrahim. So basically he studied Alm al-Mantiq also. Who taught him? Allah. Because Allah said in the Quran, Alam al-Insan ma'alam ya'alam. God teach the man what he does not know, what he did not know. Allah teach us. You know why? Because Allah, God give us the intellect, the brain. That's why the scholars say there is three types of creatures. The angels, they say, the angels has shahwa. Shahwa means desires. They say, no, angels does not have. That's true. The jinn has desires and aql, intellect. They said the man has aql, aql, 
logic, intellect, and also desires. But the angels, they don't have. But they have intellect. Then they say the animals, they don't have intellect. They have nefs, desires. Now they say, من سبقت شهوته عقله فهو مع البهائم. It's very important. They say, if you always follow your desires instead to use your logic, then you are very close to the animals. فمن سبق عقله شهوته فهو مع الملائكة. But if you follow most of the time your logic, but of course you have to fulfill your, your desires too. Lawful way. Why? God gave you this. That's, this is niyam, a gift from the God. That's why when we see kebab, we want to eat it, enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Lawful. But I have to earn to, to buy, to pay for that kebab. Or I should receive it as gift. But if I go and steal it and enjoy it, my enjoyment is not lawful, it's unlawful. So this is the Ibrahim, what he is teaching us, Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. And one verse explains everything. Inna Ibrahim kana ummatan qanitan lillahi hanifa. This is also very important. This is the view of the Quran. Hanif. What is Hanif? Ibrahim mentioned in the Quran Hanif so many times. Hanif means the one who worship one God, the one who never commit shirk, never worship idols. That's what Allah say. Shakiran li anumi, ijtabahu wahedahu ila sirat mustaqim. That's what Allah say. Walam yaku min al mushrikin. Ibrahim was not a pagan, and he was not idol worshiper. Also, he was Hanif. Straight, following, worshiping one God. We see this also in the chapter of An'am. An'am means the kettles. Yes, there is chapter of the kettles. Kettles means uh, sheep and cows and camels in Arabic. And goats also. Why? Because Allah, God talked to us about the animals. How they are great, ni'mah. We provided them for you to be food for you. And Allah explained about the lawful food and unlawful. That's why we have chapter of kettles. And also, some people used to worship also them in the past also. So Quran talks about this also. Now, Ibrahim, وَلَمْ يَكُمْ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ In Surah Al-An'am, Allah talks about this also. That when he was teenager... The scholars, uh, maybe 15, some, some of them say 13. Anyway, he was not 20, very young. When he was locked, the sharp understanding, the, the sharp intellect that God gave him. He did not go to the school for this. But that's why Allah said, Ijtabahu. Ijtaba, Mujtaba. That's why Mustafa means Mujtaba, the chosen one. So he was the chosen one among the prophets. That's why, because of his knowledge, because of his faith, because of his courage, he was so brave. And he said, when he saw the people of, well, I am proud to say that, I believe, because we have this pillar still, you know, there, Ibrahim lived in Urfa in first, uh, when he was young. Then he moved to uh, uh, Jerusalem or, uh, or Mecca and then came back Philistine but first he used to live in Turkey as in Urfa and the books of uh, commentary books they call it Haran Hurfa used to be called Haran the Syrians say no Haran is in our place he used to live here and the Iraqis say no we have Haran too I say keep your Haran but our Haran is life a life's history you can see that Inshallah, when you have, by the will of God, when you visit Turkey, just go visit uh, Urfa. You will see the, the, all these pillars, and you will see this history and read, that was the town of Ibrahim, until he, was, he just left the Firaw, uh, Namrud, Namrud uh, and his followers. Anyway, he said, what, what do you worship in? They say, uh, we are worshiping... Uh, Stars. He said, okay. 
He said, I think the stars is my God too. He looked at them at night. Oh, nice, clear, there is no cloud. All the skies, beautiful and stars. I think they are my God. In the morning, he called them, come. Do you remember I told you that, you know, my God are the stars? Show me, I want to see my God. They said, they are gone. He said, okay, they are gone. Then they are not my God. And next day, full moon. He said, I think the moon is my God. Because the Quran talks about this. وَإِذْ قَالِ إِبْرَاهِيمُ لِأَبِهِ آزَرَ أَتَتَّخْذُ أَسْلَامًا آلِهَا إِنِّي أَرَاكَ وَقَوْمَكَ فِي ظَلَالِ مُبِينَ Do you worship in the idols? I see you are in big darkness and, and misguidance. And then he said, وَإِذْ قَالِ And then, فَلَمَّا رَأَى رَأَى الْقَمْرَ بَازِهًا قَالَ هَذَا رَبِّ فَلَمَّا أَفَلَ قَالَ لَا أُحُبُّ الْآفِلِينَ When he saw the moon, he said, this is my God. When the moon disappeared, he said, my God is gone. So he's not my God. Then the sun, he did the same thing. At night, what is the sun? Sun is gone. Then he said, you know what is my God? Not the God that you are worshiping, he told them. Because you are worshiping stones. He said, inni wajjahtu Beautiful definition of the God. Who is the God? The God should be the most powerful that nobody could challenge him or his power, his knowledge. You cannot achieve that by studying, receiving degrees. No. Well, I can challenge God. Can you create a universe? No. So sit down. <laughs> he said, <laughs> Fatr in Arabic means khalaqa, abda'a, created from the beginning. Fatra means to create something from nothing. I'ada, ibda means ibda, you. You create from nothing. I'ada means yubdi wa yu'id. Create from nothing, then he resurrect. Bring back the dead. That's why the most important pillar in Islam is to believe in after the resurrection, after the death. So, ibda'a. Now, Fatara he say, I believe, I believe, inni wajjahtu, wajjahtu means istakbaltu, I face, not the idols, I face to the one who created the universe and the earth, he said. وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ He said, I am not, I am not mushrik, I am not among the mushrik. So I'm sorry I talk. No, it's fine. I, I want to give my time. Uh, thank you. I, I have, <laughs> no. <laughs> you are passionate about Turkey, I have noticed this. <laughs> we love our homelands, don't we? Um, Thank you so much for those uh, questions I ha or those answers. I had one other question, but I think it may be answered in the course of taking some questions from the congregation. And in the interest of time, I'd like to move to that now. Uh, and so, d would anybody have a question either for the panel or for a particular member of the panel this morning? Yes, Doug. So, uh, within the Protestant tradition, we draw a lot of importance out of Abraham's humanness, that many times he made what we would look at and say really bad decisions. Um, how does each of your perspectives pull those in? So we actually look at Abraham's um, decision-making as trials and tests from God. And the... the um, Rabbinic text says that Abraham was tested 10 times, and the 10th and final test was the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. And it wasn't until that 10th test that God really believed that Abraham was faithful. And all of the, the very first test was saying to Abraham, go to this place, you have no idea where it is, but you're going to go there and I'm going to show you where it is. And there are multiple tests um, in that time. We have the episode with the three strangers who arrive at Abraham's tent and he immediately washes their feet and sends Sarah to bake cakes and provide them with, uh, with nourishment and sustenance. And these three strangers end up being angels of God. And that is another test. Um, we could go through all the 10 tests another time, um, but it does take 
10 different tests until Abraham proves that he is actually faithful to God. And with the 10th final test being the Akedah and the almost sacrifice of his son Isaac, um, that is when he finally proves that he is truly faithful. So instead of bad decisions, um, it's more about making it's, it, it, they're actually considered good decisions, if you will. I'd have to say that in the Roman Catholic tradition, at least, um, we don't tend to think about Abraham as making bad decisions. Uh, we tend to praise him for the good decisions that he made, for the um, willingness that he has, first of all, to leave his homeland and go forth, and then what seems like an abomination to us to take his son and to bind him, as we say in the Jewish tradition, um, so that that almost unhuman, inhuman uh, ability to believe is what seems to get praised mostly uh, in our preaching and in our writing within that, that Catholic tradition. Would you like to add anything to that? Or Yeah, okay, yes. Um, so, well, uh, the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah talks about the kalimat. وَإِذِ ابْتَلَى إِبْرَاهِمَ رَبُّ بِكَلِمَاتٍ فَأَتَمَّهُونَ Ibtila means imtihan test. Yes, Allah has tested Ibrahim as he tested many prophets. The Quran talks about the biggest test that he had was the Bih Ismail. One opinion say, say, even the Muslims, some Muslim scholars say, maybe the Zabih was Isaac. But the majority among the Muslim scholars, they believe the Quran does not give names by the way. So the Quran talks about his, he was going to slaughter his son. No name in the Quran. That's why we have different opinions. Well, the majority uh, believe among the Muslim scholars that time Isaac was not born even. But some Muslim scholars say uh, that was Isaac. So it is not really important either it was Ishmael or Isaac. We have, when, we look, uh, when we show the moon, we don't look at the finger. What is the point? The message is important. The test was really difficult for him. That is the test. And another one was uh, when Ibrahim, Prophet Ibrahim salam was about this is a big test. Even the, in Islam, if someone threat you, put the gun on your head, tell you, deny your faith, you are allowed to deny it. Verbally. Why? Because heart is important. Allah does not look at your look, how you look, or your talk, or your surah, your shape, your color, your language. Allah care about what your heart conceal and your actions. That's why, so, uh, the Jibreel came to him. If he wants help, he can remove him from the fire. He said, no, I trust. That's why all the prophets, I put my trust in Allah, so I am not I will leave it up to Allah. And he is running to the fire, Ibrahim, yeah. Prophet Ibrahim And he has another challenge test when his wife Sarah asked him, take your wife, I don't want to see her here. Take her away and your son, Ejmal. He did. He took them to, to Mecca. Of course, there is many other maybe tests also, you know, our uh, fellows will, will mention. This is what I remember right, uh, right now. Scott, I, I just want to go back because you didn't ask the third question. I left something for that question. Yes, please do. And I just think it's important for us to talk a little bit about it. Uh, this is a remarkable gathering. I'm very pleased to be with my two colleagues here, but also to have you so interested in the interfaith understandings. And one of the things that I'm very concerned about from my own scriptural point of view and especially from the way in which Paul uses Abraham 
in his explanation in Romans and in Galatians with regard to the difference between justification by faith and justification by the law. One of the real problems I think we Christians have in our interfaith dialogue is that there is a tendency and a temptation to move into what's called supersessionism. Now, that's a big 25-cent word, but supersessionism basically means that our Christian religion is basically over and above and better than any of the other religious traditions. And we tend to use our texts to prove that. And so in Paul's attempt to explain the difference between following the law and following Christ, he gives some very interesting examples in his own community, which was basically Jew talking to Jew. When Paul was speaking, he was speaking to a Jewish congregation. Christianity was a small sect of Judaism in its beginning, and he was wrestling in the family with something that was very important. But 20 centuries later, there's the tendency to take those texts and hit other religions over the head with them. And so the tendency sometimes within the Christian community is to say, oh, you Jews, you still follow the law. Therefore, you can't possibly live by faith. Or you Jews still don't see that what is important is that we get away from the law and recognize that all is grace. Or in terms of the later religious tradition, we say because Abraham drove out Hagar and her son Ishmaeli, that somehow or other we who are children of the the free woman should be superseding anyone else in terms of religious tradition. So what I want to point out to us in this context of honest dialogue is that we as Christians have to be very careful about how we interpret our texts in such a way that they do not have hatred or have uh, demoting and putting down the other religious traditions. And I think the more we learn that within our Christian tradition, the better we can enter into a real, honest, and true dialogue interfaith discussion. Thank you. It's a beautiful sentiment. And by the way, supersessionism was a $2 word when I was in seminary, so I think there may have been some inflation. (laughs) Yes, Dr. Muhammad. If you would allow me to make some comments on the answers. Thank you very much. The question is the humanism of Abraham is by attempting to sacrifice his son, Ishmael, he showed the obedience, unquestionable obedience to God. But God did not allow that to happen. And from then on, as you probably know, in many of the ancient religions, human sacrifice was standard all over the world. From then on, there was no human sacrifice. Now we do symbolically, we sacrifice a sheep or a lamb or a camel or a cow. So that's the greatest humanism I can think of. Other is that by establishing a religion who values most as peace, as you know, Judaism, they, when they greet you, they say, shalom, peace. When Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, when he walked into that gathering when his companions were gathered, he said, Shalom. And as you know, Muslims traditionally, customarily always greet each other as, Assalamu alaikum, peace be unto you. So the peace was the thing which was utmost in the religion that he established, uh, which has been... uh, spread and actually has been practiced in a different ways between the three uh, Abrahamic faiths. So saving the humanity from the actual ritual sacrifice of human beings and establishing and emphasizing peace above all amongst the Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. I think that's the hallmark of the humanism of Abraham. If I may make a comment about uh, uh, Sarah's being driven out, the Muslims believe that he, she was not driven out. She was relocated from Palestine to Makkah. 
on the command of God. And for a purpose. When he left Hajar and the young son Ishmael with some water and some food and he was walking away Hajar asked, Oh Abraham, why are you leaving us here? He didn't answer the question. He kept walking. Is this your idea or is it God's idea? So it was God's idea that ordered Abraham to relocate his family, Hajar and his older son Ishmael, who was 12 years younger than his brother Isaac, in Makkah. So this was not, she was not driven out. She has relocated on the command of God. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Muhammad. Uh, I'm going to make a, an executive decision here. <laughs> uh, I would like to have a chance to ask and answer maybe two more questions. We're past the time that I had allotted for the discussion. Um, but what we'll do is we will um, we'll change the way we end our service. And uh, rather than singing a couple of songs together and then as we take communion and dismissing, what we'll do is we'll dismiss anybody who needs to leave uh, and then those of us who wish to, to remain and take communion together will do so. Uh, that will run us past our normal ending time. But I think that everybody would be okay with that if it means we get to hear a little bit more from our panelists. If you are here, uh, if your children are down at the other end, uh, you want to pray for their teachers right now? Um, <laughs> And you might go check on them if you're willing to just, to, just to see if they're doing okay and if you can help them or relieve them in any way. That would be wise. Did you have a question, Paul? So um, the common comment was that Abraham was able to obey God without questioning. What does that mean in your religion, obeying God without questioning, the importance of that? <laughs> Which of you is the most obedient to God? You should, <laughs> you should answer first. <laughs> I think I established in the beginning that I'm not quite so obedient. <laughs> he who is without sin cast the first stone. Yes. <laughs> Let me so, bring some towels here, please. Thank you. That's a complicated question. Um, it's actually one that I've spoken about at great length, especially on the High Holy Days, in particular on Rosh Hashanah when we read from the Akedah. Um, we talk about Abraham's blind faith multiple times. And it's, it's one of the things that we talk about because the Torah is missing so much personal dialogue and um, detail about what Abraham was feeling. Um, I actually wrote a, a sermon one time about Isaac during the Akedah, like through his eyes, essentially, um, because Isaac's voice is also missing greatly. And I think that one of the things that makes it so challenging to answer that question is because um, we really don't know that Abraham was completely... He, he was led there with blind faith. We don't know if there was some, some dialogue between Abraham and God that said, well, well I don't really know that I want to leave yet, but, but maybe I'll go in a while or something like that. Um, and I think for, for Jews, especially Reformed Jews, we question things all the time. And we have an old joke that you can have five Jews in a room and about 20 opinions. Um, <laughs> So it's it's important to to know that it's a I think it's a really individual thing and there are people who really do um, just do the commandments follow the meets vote without questioning them um, but a lot of reform and, and progressive Jews question them quite frequently actually. I think it's also important to recognize that the text does what we do normally and that is to mythologize people. Um, you know, George Washington probably didn't cut down the cherry tree and, and didn't <clears throat> have a story about the fact that he didn't tell a lie. So I think over the ages, Abraham's faith was mythologized. Uh, what I find very interesting is that when Moses is asked to do the same thing, he raises all kinds of, uh, why should I do this? And that's right, yes. Yeah. So I think what's important for us to recognize, and I'd like to go back to what my colleague here said, is that what God has given us is both faith and reason. And so the need to do the reasonable thing within a faith context is very important. And 
Uh, we've argued in Christianity back and forth about, you know, tradition versus scripture. It seems to me that there's a lot of necessity to take scripture and work it through reason, which is also the notion of tradition. So I would see Abraham as someone who was mythologized in the text, but was probably very human in terms of how he put things into practice. Uh, again, uh, we continue from, from uh, Surah Al-Nahl. See what is the faith, what does it mean to be obedient to Allah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered us in the Quran to follow the religion of Ibrahim. Do you know that? Look the ayah, what ayah says, the, the verse. Ayah means verse. ثُمَّ أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكِ أَنِ اتَّبِعْ مِلَّةَ إِبْرَاهِمَ حَنِفَةً O Muhammad, Ibrahim, after God praises Ibrahim, وَإِنَّهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ لَمِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ وَآتَيْنَهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً We gave him in dunya good state. Dunya is worldly life. I thought you know dunya. So, so, so yeah, they say, what is hasana? You see, now, until now, when we pray, Muslims, there is a tashahud when we sit down. We recite, we read uh, Salatul Ibrahimiyyah. We mention, we have to mention, if we don't mention Ibrahim's name, 40 times a day in the prayer, then we are not really followers of Prophet Muhammad's way, neither we are followers of Prophet Ibrahim's way. So what is that? Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ala Muhammad, kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ala Ibrahim. Oh Allah, bless Prophet Muhammad and his family as you bless Prophet Ibrahim and his family. Yes. And many of us, we don't know that. This is one. Second, then Allah ordered Prophet, Ibrahim, uh, Prophet Muhammad, Ibrahim O Muhammad, follow, obey the way, the, the path of Ibrahim, Hanifa. Then in Surah uh, Al-Anbiya, there is chapter, we have Surah Al-Anbiya. Anbiya means prophets. So Allah said, he was chosen you, those who follow the faith of Ibrahim. Allah did not make any hardship, difficulty in your religion. The religion is easy. For example, if you are tired, let's say you are fear, you have fear or snowing and cold, you do not have to go to the mosque. Or it is optional. Let's say you cannot stand, you feel dizzy, sit down and pray. Or uh, you have some, you know, not hungry, not who love the food, but you have some health condition, don't fast. You see? There are so many other ways. Or you are a traveler, you could not find food. There is no food, there is no drink. You found a wine. Wine is fine with you in religion, but wine in our religion, it's haram, it's unlawful. And the Islam said, drink it. Your life is more important. And you found uh, some other dead animal is not allowed, but you are starving, you're going to starve. Eat from there. Something like that. And now, Allah says in the Quran about Ibrahim, Ibrahim. What you are going to follow as the Milla. Milla means here, Deen, religion, way of life. Follow the way of life of Ibrahim. Allah named you as Muslims. Before and now. Muslims here means like those who submit one God, who worship one God. Don't think about Muslims, Arabs religion. Islam in, in Arabic, Islam means who submit to one God. If you believe you submit one God, you are Muslim too. <laughs> you know? And Allah says, Establish your prayer. Give the charity. 
And we have this also, right? وَاَتَصِمُ بِاللَّهِ Hold fast, hold, grab the robe of God. Means obey his commandments. هُوَ مَوْلَاكُمْ He is your mawla. There is no mawla for, uh, for you. Mawla means helper, protector, close friend. Friend that, not like in this Chinese movie. There was a Chinese movie, Kung Fu movie. Three guys, they are chasing one bad man. Then the leader, he was about to catch them. He said, stop. He, he got scared. He said, okay, you go this way, you go that way, I go home. <laughs> not, not this kind of friend. Friend, when you, need, when you need him, he will never leave you. You know what they say? Everyone is my friend if I have good health, right? If you have money, if you have Ferrari, drive Ferrari, everyone is your friend. You don't have any problem. But when you lose the Ferrari and you don't have even to ride a donkey and you are, uh, you are really in difficult situation, financial, and you need help of others, tell me now, will you have more friends than before? No. Less. Because you will be burdened for the people. Then you will see the Johar. They say Johar. Johar means the treasure, the real sight, sense of the friendship now. You see? Allah say, that one is only Allah, God. Nobody else. Even your, your wife. You have a good job, you bring money. One day when you don't bring money, you tell her, honey, she tell you, no money, no honey. For example, <laughs> for example, even your own family do that to you, right? But God say no. Inna Allahu wa rizaq. Ma uridu minkum min rizqin wa ma uridu yudhimun. Allah say in the Quran, Surah Al-Insan. Insan is human being. I don't want you to feed me. I don't want you to give me anything. I am the provider for you. You will never hear this from anyone. Even your father will not do it to you. When you reach 18, get ready. <laughs> Go. Yes, brother. Uh, uh, that's okay. Thank you. We, uh, I enjoyed your answer very much. And I think I'm not the only one. Uh, I, must, I must call us to a close. I'm so very sorry. We're five minutes past the time that I told our panelists they would be able to leave. And I know at least Rabbi Levy has a very long meeting to go to this afternoon, correct? Um, we could have listened to all three of you talk for another two hours easily. Um, you might have gotten tired, but we would have enjoyed it very much. Um, would you join me in thanking our panel this morning? Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, one minute. <laughs> one or two. The gentleman from Turkey has asked for an extension of his time. <laughs> so this is the supplication of Prophet Ibrahim. We have chapter, by the way, in the Quran called Surat Ibrahim. Chapter of Ibrahim. Talks about Ibrahim. It's like two pages. So just one minute. Here in this few verses, Allah talks about Alhamdulillah ladhi wahabali ala al-kibri Ismail wa Ishaq. All the praise be to Allah, the one who gave me two gifts, great gifts, in my old age, Ismail and Ishaq. And Abraham is praying to Allah to give him, to make his children pious, those who worship him, and to protect his dhurya, his offspring. And then he prayed for his parents, for the believers, for the whole nations. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اجعلني مقيم الصلاة ومن ذريتي ربنا ربنا وتقبل دعاء Rabbana, forgive me, 
Thank you for sharing that. This is the prayer of Abraham, the supplication of Abraham that you just sang. Thank you. What a wonderful, beautiful way to close our time together. Um, well, here's what we shall do, my friends. We will um, stand for one or two minutes. I will offer a benediction for us, and those who need to leave may leave. Our guests, uh, if you would like to stay, you're welcome. Uh, if you need to leave, it's uh, perfectly okay. And then we will take communion together as a community, and we'll do our offering and a few announcements at the end. We'll, we'll be still done by quarter to 12, I think. Uh, would you stand together? And um, join me in uh, just a, a word of thanks to God. God, we give you thanks for this beautiful morning for the variety and diversity uh, of faith and history and culture that we've experienced this morning. Uh, God, you are the, the God of Abraham, the father of us all, and uh, we pray for peace, for shalom, for salam among all of us. May we walk from this place in the peace of the God of Abraham together. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.